fraternity is a word for brotherhood. Mm. And and here we are right now in this, <laughs> what I think of as the second generation of the men's movement, trying to reclaim what brotherhood really is and what it looks like. Because we talk so much about how we work better together as teams. We were meant to hunt as a pack, end of the lone wolf. And really, all of that requires these initiatory practices to build a level of trust and recognition of preparedness for the world. That's really what these ceremonies and coming of age rituals were about, was determining an individual's readiness and preparedness for life and the responsibilities that lie on the other side of the threshold. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. Have you ever undergone a rites of passage? Have you ever felt called to undergo a rites of passage? Do you even know what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, in this episode, my guest, Jetty Azuma, who's the founder of Rising Man Movement and the podcast of the same name, Jetty and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. When I was 19, I asked my dad and my stepmother to drive me three hours from their home to a cave set deep in the hills of Kentucky. I wanted to spend three days in that cave alone with only myself and the spirits for company and in mostly darkness. I somehow got it in my mind that I needed to be initiated. Only thing is, I had no idea what I was wanting to be initiated into. So not knowing at all what I was really doing or even wanting from this experience, and my dad had no idea what I was doing or wanted from it either, but he was excited to drive me into that cave. I took some candles, a sleeping bag, and some grapes, and walked about half a mile into the dark. I don't think I lasted 24 hours. I was so bored, so disillusioned. That I walked out of the cave probably not long after I'd ran out of grapes, and I never looked back. Initiation failure. I didn't realize that I had walked into that cave because I was hearing and listening to an ancient voice deep in my soul that was crying out for something essential. I just had no guides at the time to help steward me through. Which brings me to Jetty Azuma. Jetty is another beautiful and wise man that I've been blessed to cross paths with in recent years. In our conversation today, we talk about rites of passage. Jetty guides men through rites of passage, specifically through the indigenous tradition of multi-day vision fasting in the wilds of nature. We talk about the three stages of a rite of passage and some things you can do if you feel called to prepare for stepping into a rite of passage. Jetty brings a deep and nuanced understanding of the need for men to regularly mark the transition points of our lives, whether from boyhood to manhood, from single man to married man, or vice versa, or from just man to father. And Jetty shares an ancient wisdom practice that our modern Western world is tragically missing and with tragic consequences. Our conversation is a fascinating and essential one. But before we dive in, you should know that at the time of this recording, I still have only got two spots left for my Elevate 2023 
year-long coaching adventure for men committed to thriving. We begin in January. It's right around the corner. So if you are a man interested in stepping into a powerful brotherhood of men alongside me and nine other like-hearted men, please apply now at brianreeves.com slash elevate. It's Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash elevate. Elevate 2023 includes coaching with me throughout the entire year. And alongside a select group of solid men, your soon-to-be brothers, we'll go on a deep dive into the insights, distinctions, and practices that allow you to step into your deepest life purpose, create and support a thriving intimate relationship, tap into real, authentic, heart-centered power to deeply serve not just your own aspirations, but the aspirations of those you love most too. And we'll also meet in person for an epic five-day retreat in a beautiful location in North Carolina. Through this experience, these men and I will become your brothers for life. And you will be challenged to go beyond your comfort zone. Because you surely know by now that if you're going to touch the heart of what matters most to you in life, you ain't going to get there by staying comfortable. Now, This isn't for everyone. But if you have an inkling that it might be for you, Apply now at brianreeves.com slash elevate. Just take the next step. This could be one of the greatest gifts you ever give yourself. The gift of brotherhood with extraordinary men. brianreeves.com slash elevate. But before we dive in, men, listen up. My year-long Elevate 2023 coaching adventure for men is almost full. I've only got five spots left at the time of this recording. Now, this is my third year running this year-long coaching experience, and I've got to tell you, it is life-changing for men to finally be surrounded by strong, like-hearted, trustable other men, including myself as your coach and facilitator for the journey for an entire year, to know that you don't have to carry the burdens of your life alone anymore, that support is all around you. To be witnessed in all you're carrying in your life, to be celebrated in the ways you are already succeeding, and to be challenged to up your game in the areas of life that are most important to you, well, Elevate is proving to be a priceless, life-changing experience for men. But more than my word, hear the words of actual men who've experienced Elevate. I feel like I'm a different person. I see the world in a different, through a different lens. It says never too late, but I wish I would have done this uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm 48 years old now. I wish I would have done that 20 years ago. My experience in Elevate 2022 has been one of the most enlightening, emotional, spiritual journeys that I have been on in my life. I've done a lot of things. I've done a lot of retreats, a lot of you know self-help, self-inner work, and this had so many amazing different elements to it. It was something I think that I, I don't know. I didn't know that I needed it, but I've, but I've needed it. So if you're ready to elevate your life in 2023, I am now accepting applications at brianreeves.com slash elevate. Remember, it's brian with a Y, reeves.com slash elevate. And at the time of this recording, we've already filled five of 10 available spots. So only five remain. 
Again, go to brianreeves.com slash elevate and apply today. Do not delay. The life you are destined to live is waiting for you. If this speaks to you, go apply at brianreeves.com slash elevate. All right, back to my conversation with Jetty Azuma. Now take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right. Let's dive. Jetty Azuma, my brother, welcome to Men This Way. It's an honor to have you, man. It is an honor to be here, and I truly mean that. Really honored to be here and to be jamming with you, bro. Same, same, man. We first crossed paths, I don't know, a few years back, I think in Southern California. Yeah, definitely pre-COVID, so I want, it feels like three years ago. Some light brushes with each other, and it was like, a, oh, there was like, for me, there was like a, I like this dude. I don't know him much. I don't have a sense, quite a full sense for him because we didn't get to drop in. But I was like, something about him. I'm intrigued by him. And since you, you know, we're both now here in, in Texas, of all places, it's been nice to get to start to get to know you more, man. I really feel joy and excitement at that. Yeah. So welcome, man. Yeah, man. Like I said, I'm very mutual, the feelings of meeting you and never getting really to drop in until we both arrived here in Texas. And I don't know about you, but if you went back, however many years ago it was that I first met you and said, hey, in a few years, we're going to be connecting and we're both going to be living in Texas. I would have thought you were full of it. So And fighting each other on Friday mornings. Punching each other in the mouth in Punch Texas. Each yeah. other. <laughs> dude, you gave me a bruise through the, what do they call those? The pad, the kick pads. Dude, I came home with a bruise that day. <laughs> you got some kick on you, man. Oh, well, thank you, man. Lots of years of soccer. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never would have guessed it, man. But here we are. And it's an honor to have you, man. Jetty, let's start by familiarizing our listeners with you. And the way that I like to do that is tell us about an event, an experience, an influence, a force, something that helped shape you as a man, something from your early days in your life. Could be a mentor, could be an experience, could be a climactic moment that helped shape you as the man you are today. What a great way to start, man. I love that. Well, it's like a two-part story event. When I was five years old, just before my younger brother was born, at that time, who was the most important person in my life, my grandfather, my father's father, passed away suddenly from a brain aneurysm. And it was my introduction to death and the impermanence of life at five years old, which was really hard for me to understand and accept. I didn't even get to say goodbye to him. And this was literally one of the most important people in my life. And fast forward four years, and my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I was nine years old. At this time, Cancer was still a pretty new concept. We're talking about the mid-90s. I know people had had cancers before, but nobody I knew had ever had cancer. So my mom was going through it and just going through that experience for two years of really not having my mom available because she was on her healing journey. She was in and out of the hospital, almost died multiple times. Watching my dad go through his journey of being just a very classic stoic provider version of a man and now pretending to be mom in her place when she wasn't there sometimes too. That was, was a very impactful moment. But the most important part of this was the community that I grew up in rallied around my family, literally just soaked us up. I think of like an amoeba that just absorbs another cell. And it laid such a strong foundation in me, even though I didn't know it at the time of how important community is and gave me the sense that they gave me my mom back is how I look at it. The community helped my family survive, kept my family together, kept my mom alive. She literally was saved by getting blood transfusions from people in the community. So 
I have this, I don't know if I'd call it a chip on my shoulder, but a story in me that I owe it to my community. And so it was a really important seed in my life of this idea that I always want to be giving back to the community out. My life is about being of service because of the gift that I received at such a young age. Yeah. Wow. To be intensely confronted with death at a young age. You know, I think of my father leaving when I was four years old. He wasn't dying, but something was dying. And I remember, you know, it's one of the nights that I'll remember for the rest of my life where I remember the night he left at four years old, didn't understand what was going on. And we're going to talk about rites of passage today, which I'm really excited about, man. You know, I'm 48 years old. And as I look back through my teens and 20s and 30s, there were so many times where I was trying to initiate myself into something. You know, when dad left at four years old, and I'll be curious to hear your father's role in your journey as well as a man. But when my dad left at four, he was never really a big part of my life ever again. And so much of my then, man, my angst-filled teenage and 20 years, 20-something years, I was, again, I was trying to initiate myself in all these weird ways, from going into caves by myself to drinking ayahuasca to fuck the military was a form of like pseudo rites of passage that I was seeking. And so... I'm excited to talk about this with you, Jetty, because I know you've been leading, you've been facilitating rites of passage for how long? Bring us into your background on this a little bit. Well, the first rite of passage ceremony that I helped support was back in 2015. And then ever since then, I've been on this path of learning to guide. And then we really started ramping up guiding back in 2019. So yeah, been at it for a few years now. What would you say was your first, I guess there's unintentional rites of passage, or maybe not. There are unintentional rites of passage, like the things that happened to us that we didn't plan for or orchestrate and nobody orchestrated, but just life doing its thing. And then there's the intentional rites of passage, right? The facilitated journeys. What was your first, or what say you about that? Well, absolutely. Number one, I, I agree with you. I think there's things that we can go back and survey our lives, really audit our lives and say, okay, these were transitional moments. Because a rite of passage at a functional level is a transition from one stage of life into another. We make transit from one chapter into another at many different intervals in life, and there's many different reasons why we may mark those. For example, some rites of passages or things that are acknowledged as a rite of passage is losing your virginity, getting drunk for the first time, becoming a father is a rite of passage. And obviously there's healthy and unhealthy versions and conscious and unconscious versions of these rites of passages. But then there's rites of passage for transitioning from one phase of life into another, where I'm consciously choosing to release myself from an identity, from who I've known myself to be and who my community has known me to be in order to make space for the identity of, in me that wants to emerge for the next season of life. And that's where these intentional ceremonial rites of passages come into play that I've been involved with and that I think is really instrumental in a man's life. What you said there about wanting to initiate yourself, to me, an initiation is a form of a rite of passage, but not every rite of passage is an initiation. So there's also that layer of it too. What I'm immediately present to is I was in a fraternity in college. My heart breaks every time I read of articles or hear of a fraternity being banned from a campus or being punished in some way, disciplined for hazing. And my heart breaks on multiple levels, not because I think that those fraternities should just be allowed to haze the shit out of people and make them drink and do all kinds of unsafe things. It breaks my heart because we don't understand what these kids need, what these kids are aching for. 
these young men are in some cases literally dying for to be initiated into let's start there right let's say late adolescence right that's often something we associate with a first rite of passage from boyhood to manhood what's going on there what's that all about why are boys so desperately seeking initiation whether in the military fraternity gang even sports teams what's happening there well, I believe it goes back to one of the most core wounds that we carry as humans is belonging and how essential and fundamental it is to our survival to feel as though we belong, to be accepted, to be validated and seen in community. Just the reference of your story about being in a fraternity, right? Fraternity is a word for brotherhood. And here we are right now in this, what I think of as the second generation of the men's movement, trying to reclaim what brotherhood really is and what it looks like. Because we talk so much about how we work to get better together as teams. We were meant to hunt as a pack, end of the lone wolf. And really, all of that requires these initiatory practices to build a level of trust and recognition of preparedness for the world. That's really what these ceremonies and coming of age rituals were about, was determining an individual's readiness and preparedness for life and the responsibilities that lie on the other side of the threshold. And so... It's instinctual, not just for humans, adolescents and juveniles, but also other animals. Have you ever heard of the story about juvenile eagles and what they do before they gain their uh, adult no. plumage? No, tell me. I love this quick story. So juvenile eagles in the Native American church circles, one of the most revered animals because their feathers have a very particular look to them. They're kind of spotted. They're not distinctly white. And the reason why they're so revered is they fly higher than any other bird. What they do is they do this ritual before they gain their adult plumage where they go all the way up into the stratosphere where the oxygen is so thin that they actually lose consciousness and they start to spiral down to the earth again and they regain consciousness and they flap and they repeat this as many times as they need to until they've completed essentially. And, and the way I was taught this and the way I interpret it myself is it's that same thing that so many of us adolescent males have done is pushing our edges, pushing our edges and really getting to know how far can I push it in order to be ready for the responsibilities of adulthood. And then the natural processes of biology in eagles, they start to lose their juvenile plumage and gain their adult feathers. So it's something that is instinctual in all animals. It's the classic, the bucking of the horns that deer go through when the young buck is challenging the old buck. And we see these mirrors in nature. And that's another reason why I like nature-based rites of passage, because there's so much information and so much wisdom in the mirror of nature. And many of us don't have access to it or don't allow ourselves to have access to it. What was your first encounter with a rites of passage, like a first conscious encounter, you entering into a rites of passage willingly, intentionally? That's a really good question. The first one that pops into my mind, I was 22 years old. I was finishing graduate school as a physical therapist. And one of the last things you have to do is a 12-week rotation, basically an internship where you go and work in a hospital or a clinic to get experience. And this was the fourth one. out of This was four or four. We had to do four of them throughout the course of our studies. And I had just gone through a really gnarly breakup, which in and of itself is a rite of passage, getting your heart broken. You don't become a man until you've had your heart broken, Fact. in my opinion. Fact. And it's the second time I had my heart broken, but I guess sometimes you got to learn that one twice. Uh, dozens on my side over here. So dozens, it, it there you took go. me a long time to really get the gift of that initiation. Absolutely. So I just wanted to get as far away from 
everything I knew as I could. There was something in me. This was the first time I really had that gut instinct that said, go that way, right? So in choosing a place to do my internship, I chose Shiprock, New Mexico, which anyone who's ever been out there, you know that it's right in the Four Corners region where the four states all join together and across. It's on the Diné Reservation. Diné is the word that many people know them as Navajo, but the Diné people. And it was a rite of passage for me for a couple of different reasons. For one, it was the first time I'd ever gone somewhere by myself where absolutely nobody knew me. And on one hand, it was just a pure reflection of what does the world show me about myself when I go somewhere that nobody has any pretense for who I am? I drove across the country from upstate New York all the way to New Mexico by myself at 22 years old, which was exhilarating and also very nerve wracking. I'd never done that before. And also it was my introduction to uh, sweat lodge and Native American ceremony. And so there were many other layers to it, but as a all encompassing experience, it was truly a rite of passage because I was stepping far outside of the comfort and confines of the world that I'd grown up in up to that point. And I certainly was changed. I was altered when I returned back home. So that was the first and most significant one that stands out in my memory. What are some of the signs, you know, as I'm reflecting on the, no men are listening to this and I've thrown myself intentionally and unintentionally into various rites of passage over the years, relationship being one of the places that tragically, I don't think is supposed to be a rites of passage for us men, but we, by default, it becomes such because we don't have many rites of passage otherwise, right? But I'm wondering, what do you notice in a man who is ready, who is ripe, whether he's 20 or 40 or 50, or what are some of the signs that a man is aching for, yearning for, whether he consciously knows it or not? There's a rites of passage that his soul is yearning for. I always look to the body because to me, the body never lies. And so some people would call it a full body, yes. When I'm talking to men and getting to understand if, if a rite of passage is what their soul and their body's calling in, how does that feel in your body? But imagine yourself making this threshold in the sand, stepping across and really abandoning this identity that you've had up until now and leaving that behind, laying that to rest in order to embrace a new one. It's pretty clear. In all the years I've done this, it's pretty clear for guys. Like There's excitement, there's fear, there's a combination of all these feelings, but overall, it's a felt sense that something has to change. I often talk about rites of passage. I think you asked about some of the indicators of what, what can you look for in a rite of passage. There's a man named Stephen Foster who started a school called the School of Lost Borders, which is the legacy of rites of passage I come from. And he identified three distinct stages in a rite of passage. The first was severance. So there's this period of severing that I often equate to the last few sentences in the chapter of this chapter you've been living in your life. Sometimes I think of a caterpillar getting ready for transformation. And there's probably, I don't know what it's like to be a caterpillar, but I imagine there's like an impulse that, oh, it's time to change. It's time to transform. I don't know into what yet, but something's coming. And then that leads into what we call the threshold phase, which for us, it's where you actually go out and spend four days fasting alone in the wilderness. This would be when you're turning the page of a chapter, but you're not quite finished with this one, but you're not quite on the next one. You're in between. With the caterpillar, this is when they're in the cocoon right? In that incubatory phase. And then the last part, which is the most difficult part, is emerging from the cocoon. Now we've got a butterfly, a completely new identity for that creature. We're turning the page to a new chapter, but they're blank pages. And it's time to incorporate the gifts of that experience that you just had. 
So that's a model for a ceremonial rites of passage. But I also find that if you look back at rites of passage experiences, there's that severing phase, the shedding phase. You think of a snake losing its skin that happens before rebirth and stepping into a new chapter and phase of life. So let's focus on the caterpillar stage for a minute, right? The pre-severance. You know, I look back at the periods of my life, right? When I was in the military and wanted to get out, right when I went off to college and the thought of joining a fraternity. Later times in life when I was in relationship that wasn't working or something in my life, I just hadn't figured something out. There was a great agitation stirring within me, an agitation, a sense of what I am now living is just not any longer, at least, what I am supposed to be living, right? And I'm curious, what do you say to the man who's listening to this, who, all right, maybe, you know, he's got a decent enough life. There's the one guy who's succeeded at almost everything he's put his mind to, and he's bored. He's just bored. He doesn't know where to go from here. He's bored and he's, he may very well be blaming his intimate partner <laughs> for his boredom. That's a common one. <laughs> Maybe he's just easy target, easy target. Exactly. What do you say to that man? Who's just wondering something's got to change. That's it right there. It's however that feeling or that sense manifests, something's got to change time for something different. Every man knows what that feels like. Anyone who's made it to adulthood has had a moment in their lives. You could feel, I think about this going back retroactively to when I was a teenager. This is actually right when I started high school. So this is another rite of passage, right? Going from grammar school into high school. The first week was so overwhelming for me. Just like, oh, this is so different. I'm riding the bus to school, public transit. Just the level of responsibility is so much greater. I'm doing things I never had to do before. So uncomfortable. And I remember literally the words crossed my mind, something has to change. And then the next day, 9-11 happened. And I was living right outside New York City. So I remember that's a whole other story. I thought somehow I manifested that because I remember feeling like something's got to change. Um, I mean, there we go, right? Like all those moments where there's that feeling, even if you're not aware enough to put that into context of the life cycle, but even as teenagers, we feel like something has to change. Something needs to be different. So for those men who were feeling that, what a rite of passage is, the ceremony and the way that we practice it, is an opportunity to mark that, to make a line of delineation in your life. Because as we mentioned before, some of these rites of passage, they're just going to happen by default. Life is just going to hand you them. One day, if you're a father, there was a day you were not a father, and then something happened, and the next day you woke up and you were a father. There's a natural rite of passage there, and there's, sure, maybe there's some thought and some intention behind it, but to bring ceremony, to bring purpose, to bring a higher level of awareness to that transition allows for a different type of experience. And the way we do it, where we, instead of just having something happen to you, but you choose to go out and spend this time in solitude, it's about creating the conditions for clarity. So I can really listen for what's being called of me as I get ready for this next chapter of my life. So let's talk about the actual rite of passage. If I'm understanding, and I'm guessing here, I don't know. I've talked to our friend Preston. I know he's been talking about doing a vision quest with you. I did a vision quest in, with a particular tradition down in South America many, many years ago. I'm curious, what is your format of vision quest or rites of passage? Is it the traditional vision quest? We use the terminology vision fast. And usually when I describe it, we say solo wilderness fasting. So people understand exactly what we're talking about. So vision quest is obviously an English word that is 
often in reference to a Lakota tradition, which I don't know if that's how you experience Vision Quest, but four days, no food, no water in those traditions, different protocols. And here's the thing that I've learned over time is that no matter where our ethnic lineage comes from, our people, our culture, every single one of us, if you go far enough back, has evidence of land-based rituals to mark transitions in life that had a combination of solo time in the wilderness without food and or water. So no matter where in the world your family and your ancestry is from, we all have evidence of that in our lineage. So the particular tradition that I come from, again, is going back to School of Lost Borders, Stephen Foster, without going into a lot of story, influenced by many different cultures and traditions. The way we do it is we do four days alone in the wilderness, no contact with other humans. So you're fasting from many things. In this case, we fast from food. It's allowed to have water in this tradition, but essentially eliminating as many of the distractions that we're normally accustomed to in our day-to-day lives, just turning the volume down on all of these other things that normally will grab our attention so that I can hear what, what that inner voice inside of me has been trying to say all along. And that's where the clarity piece comes in. Yeah, I'm very aware of the problematic languaging and the risk of appropriation. I'm a white dude and from white culture. I'm not connected to any of these kinds of traditions. And I feel that I didn't know this growing up, but I was experiencing and even as an adult felt a, a profound emptiness and I was like spiritual bankruptcy as a result of it. And I went to church because my mom made me go to church as a kid and I found nothing there. I instinctively felt not to dismiss anyone's religion, but I didn't find God in church. I found God in nature. And that became my temple. And I'm a student of Bill Plotkin, his work. You familiar? Nature and the Human Soul. Oh yeah, Soul. I love Bill Plotkin. Nature and oh. the Human Soul. So good. Had him on the podcast. I am just enamored by his work. And he really woke me to the, the sensitivity, the need for us to also find our own traditions. What I feel like right now is just a, is an awkward, well-intentioned, fumbly white guy trying to land in some nature-based practice that I'm not just stealing from a tradition, but yet I'm served by it because I got fucking nothing otherwise. Yeah. And I want to just acknowledge what you're sharing. There is oftentimes a really difficult thing to speak to. I've definitely, I mean, for myself, I'm not Native American or indigenous to this land by blood. My father's family comes from Japan. My mother's family comes from Italy and parts of the Middle East. So I've towed very similar lines. And I found is that one thing that's really important to remember is that we are all part of a human race. And I know that that's an age old conversation, right? That has a lot attached to it at being at the risk of oversimplifying it. This, we, we belong to this earth is the way I view it. We belong to this earth. And when I walk in the world in a way that is respectful of that and reverent to that and respectful of cultures and traditions that are not my own, but that I respect and show up for in a good way, then the medicine on both sides is reciprocated. And so I certainly understand and have been witness to and experienced the preservation and protection of cultural practices, which I think is merited because of the historical context of so many of these practices, especially for indigenous communities being taken away. I mean, even outlawed by colonists, which just seems so backwards. So I understand why. And I've also myself reconciled this with, we all have this somewhere in our legacy. And for one reason or another, our ancestors let go of 
or released some of these cultural traditions. And I'm sure there's a whole host of reasons why, but I do think that there is a gap, a void, like you mentioned, a vacancy. I think this is an important point because, you know, for any listeners who might be confused, I'm not apologizing for being a white person. I'm not ashamed of being white. I'm not ashamed of my lifetime. I think that's a, a common confusion that people fall into. It's either black or white. Like I have to be ashamed for being white and make all these apologies and amends to indigenous or minorities, or I have to be proud of being white, but now I'm a racist. No, it can be both. Like I can be proud of just being who I am and still be deeply sensitive and thoughtful about how I am approaching the experiences of the indigenous in this country, of minorities, of the people who are, let's just say, don't look like me and don't come specifically from my precise culture. I can approach them with reverence and respect without being ashamed of myself. And, and I think that's the sweet spot I'm always looking for because I want to benefit from the wisdom and the traditions of the peoples who are indigenous to this land. But I don't want to be an insensitive, colonizing asshole who's just going to take it for my own benefit with no respect or regard to the impact of my doing so on the people who develop those traditions. Yeah. And again, I've encountered a lot of peoples over the years and a lot of the indigenous elders who I've gotten the most from are the ones who remember that we're all children of this planet. And there's prophecy and story of the medicine from indigenous communities, the people who remembered the way, reminding the people who forgot and fell asleep. I mean, there's so many great stories and mythology about foretellings of this time. And obviously, speaking of plant medicines and how that's really become proliferated, it's, it, it's always a reward and a cost. It's something that a lot of indigenous elders recognize is that there is healing and there is something that has been lost from people. And it's, I believe it's a large part of how we've gotten to where we are on this planet. 100% man. Somewhere down in South America, there is a shaman living rent-free in my head whom I've never met. I don't know who he is. He doesn't have a name. He's probably not even a real person. But I heard a story once where he said that we in the North are living in Maya, the illusion. And I heard that probably 30 years ago when I was probably 12 years old. I had no understanding what he was talking about, but it rang deep and true. And, you know, I've been sold that indigenous people are... I grew up with the cowboys and Indians. You know, the cowboys are the good guys and the Indians are the savages. What a fucking story I was sold. And so I'm so delighted. I know that there's a shadow to it, but to see the rites of passage and medicine journeys that are becoming more common to white culture, let's just say, or at least you know, Western culture anyway. I'm excited about it. Well, and I know that you're a, a big fan of Bill Plotkin and Nature of the Human Soul is one of the core texts in my mind that I always refer back to and thinking of the, for those who aren't aware, just working with the medicine wheel and specifically looking at that Western gate of the medicine wheel. So if you can imagine just a map, so to speak, for looking at cycles of life and in that Western gate is where humans move from adolescence and into adulthood. And in Nature of the Human Soul, Bill Plotkin speaks about the logjam, the bottleneck of adolescence, because we lost touch with initiatory practices and rites of passage ceremony that we would ordinarily do for our boys and even our girls to prepare them for adulthood. But specifically with the boys, it's resulted in so many boys, I put that in quotation marks, running around in man bodies because without any sense of who they are, what they're here for, 
being able to turn 180 degrees instead of how does this serve me? How can I serve the world? And just look for it in leadership all over the world, especially in politics and corporations, just how much adolescence still exists in male and masculine leadership. It's, it's a huge problem. Yeah. The pathological adolescence we're caught in breaks my heart every day. What can a man expect on the other side of a rites of passage? Yeah. Well, I always come back to that C word clarity because oftentimes I love it. I love when I'm speaking with men and deciding if this is something that they're ready for. A lot of times they'll ask me, what can I expect on the other side? And I love that question because for me, I'm just a guide. I, I don't know what waits on the other side of the threshold for you. I don't have a crystal ball and that's really not my job. My job as a guide is to prepare you for that experience, mentally, physically, emotionally, to guide you to that threshold. When you're on the other side for those four days, that's your work. That's your space. That's your time. Of course, we're not too far away. So if something went wrong, we're there for safety. But And then our job on after that is to receive you when you come back and to help you incorporate that medicine into your life. So I've seen over 100 guys go through this process at this point, and every journey has been different. But the one common thread has been a greater sense of clarity. Men emerge from this experience with a greater understanding of who they are, greater understanding of what their life is for, something that they want to bring back and give to their community, even if it's just showing up in a different way or creating something different than just moving the needle on that compass slightly closer to that Northern star and beginning to move in that direction. So it's, and it's not an easy journey that a lot of people, they walk into this experience and I'm very clear that when I tell guys, don't expect that all of a sudden all the problems in your life are just going to go away. In fact, it might shake up the sediment even more and give you greater challenges to carve through, but persevering through that and embracing that journey is really what it's about and having that purposeful path to walk in life. Well, the rites of passage is an intentional stepping into mystery. Like those four days is an immersion in mystery. I mean, how could you say what's going to happen and how, how could a man know if he knows what's going to happen? It's not a rites of passage. It's a ceremony. It's a, a simulation. <laughs> it's a simulation. Yeah. It's a video game. But I think that's also what makes it so potentially both alluring and potentially terrifying. Like, why would I want to step into such mystery? Like you said, stir up the sediment, the shit that I haven't been facing all of this time. Oh God, now I'm going to be sitting with it for four days, potentially. We called it a vision quest at the time. I was with a, some, a Chilean community in the South of Chile. I was amazed. So four days, I think it was three nights, four full days, no food, no water, no journaling, no moving about. You know, I had my little spot on a mountainside. Holy shit, Jetty. I had no idea how long a day is <laughs> when there was nothing to distract myself with, nothing to read, nothing to, I had no idea how long a night was when, you know, I'm sleeping on, I don't remember exactly what I was on. Might've had a thin little mat or something and some plastic to cover me if it rained. But I was like, damn, this is a life. This is a lot of time in a day. That was painful. It's painful. And yet, oh, one of the most important experiences of my life, right? What are some of the things that a man does to prepare for a rites of passage? Like, let's just say he's listening to this podcast and he's thinking, all right, I fucking need this because things got to change. I need clarity. I'm stuck, blah, blah, blah. You know, in our culture, there's a lot of go to therapy, 
which I'm a huge fan of do therapy, you know, work with a coach, which I'm a huge fan of. I mean, you and I are both coaches go yeah, definitely work with a coach. And there is something that stepping into the mystery I've worked with men over the years where I've told them, you know what, it's time for you to go wander. I can't really serve you in the way that what I'm hearing is your soul is calling for the, the wandering phase entering into the mystery. What are some of the things a man who's listening could think, okay, well, I'm feeling called to this. What might he do to prepare himself or to just take a few steps closer? Well, our process is called compass. It's the whole container of it is four months. And that first severance stage, we have a lot of exercises that we encourage men to do. Speaking of it generally, it's really about taking an inventory of my life up until this point going all the way back into the archives of all the significant moments, things that have come up, beliefs that I've held about myself, stories, narratives, et cetera, and really deciding, sorting and sifting through what stays and what goes. Essentially, it's a cleaning, it's a cleansing, a clearing out of space to make room for something new. So if I don't, if I'm not willing to let go of some of the things I've been storing in the closet, then I'm not going to have room for something new to emerge. So as far as getting ready on the functional side of things, We've taken out all different levels of wilderness experience. I've taken out some guys who regularly go out and backpack by themselves. And I've taken out guys who their first ever backpacking experience was coming out with us and fasting for four days. So there's an element of functional preparedness that we help you with getting your gear and safety protocols, et cetera. A lot of people are scared of wildlife, right? If you've never been exposed to imagine just being out in the dark by yourself, just the fear of the anticipation, like, a snake is hunting me, it's going to come get me. And just acknowledging that that's the real fear that exists in some people and addressing that so that people can step into it. But ultimately, there's only so much that we can really do to prepare someone. There's still that unknown that a man must walk into and wander into himself. And so there's gathering enough courage to step into it and then trust yourself that you will make it and emerge on the other side. So, so much of these ceremonies is about really deciding, are you ready? Are you ready for the next level? Are you ready for new responsibility in your life? Because there's going to be plenty more of this unknown that is represented symbolically by these four days of solitude. So four months of the whole container, how much of that time is spent actually, I know those four days is the actual fast. How many days do you spend in nature getting ready for the fast? So it's like a sandwich. We do two days on the front end. It's eight days altogether, right in the middle of that four months, right in the middle is the threshold time. So we gather in a location, spend the first two days of just settling in, making base camp final preparations before going out to the fast. And then four days, obviously, of time alone. We do four days and four nights. So you come back on the fifth morning and then about another day and a half of integration and just landing that first step back into the community is with the men who watched you go across that threshold and are receiving you on the other side. And then we hear your story and reflect it back to you and a little bit more of preparation to go all the way back to make that huge leap back into Babylon, right? Going back into a world and a society that has absolutely no idea what you just did and no context or understanding of what it meant for you. And then so that's where this, the next two months come into play is just really helping guys land on their feet and start to walk those first steps of incorporation. Yeah, I remember after coming back from my vision fast, the most abrasive moment was when I first got to the airport in Chile and I heard the television sets playing 
in the terminal, the noise, everything that man had built so much of it just felt like a big fuck you to nature. That was really difficult. I remember it viscerally in my body that moment. And I didn't have good integration on the other side. I, I, I went back to, yeah, family, a world that had no idea <laughs> what I had just done. Oh, my, all my mom knew was I didn't drink water for four days. You're going to die. You were trying to, you got a death wish boy. I didn't know that was possible until I did it. And so integration, what does integration look like for him? Yeah. So going back to those three stages, severance threshold, the word we use is incorporation. A lot of times people say integration very close, but incorporation, I love that word. You hear a lot of people using the word embodiment these days, but in corpus, if you break it down into Latin is in corpus, in the body to bring an experience and incorporate into the body. So yes, we have those two months of ongoing incorporation support from the guides, from the community of men that you went and fasted with. But my mentor, the late Kent Pierce, he really emphasized the importance of incorporation. Because even though that was part of this model that Stephen Foster had passed on to Kent, there wasn't a strong incorporation community from that. And even to this day, a lot of these other communities that offer rites of passage like this, there's severance, there's threshold. But then beyond that, there's not ongoing incorporation support. And you know, more traditional times, a person would go out and have this experience, and then they would come back to their community. And the community would hear their story. And then the community would be there to hold that individual accountable to who they are claiming themselves to be and remind them of who they were when they forgot. So we've put a strong emphasis on incorporation because Kent Pierce, our mentor, he would really emphasize the importance of that. So in our community, in the Rising Man community, we have 77 men at this point that we've taken out and fasted and who we have a seasonal incorporation calls. And next year, we're going to have our first in-person incorporation gatherings and men all over who have fasted now are connecting with each other and supporting each other going through that, what we call the wilderness of incorporation. So truly it's something that is, and it's still in its very early stages in our community, but connecting these peoples who have had this shared experience, so important for making sure that the medicine, the impact of that experience isn't just lost. It's not just another peak experience that somebody had and then faded away. Well, I have a few more questions for you to wrap up, but I want to make sure that I just check in with you. Is there something important that I'm not asking or that you want to say about rites of passage, particularly before we wrap up? Yeah, what what comes to mind right now is just personal belief that I have that there's no right way, no one way, no singular way to be initiated and to embark and participate in a rite of passage. In fact, I think there's many ways. One thing that I love from the community I come from, we always said your way is the way. And I think that's such an empowering thing to have because how many of us are dealing with a personal authority story in our lives where we're looking for permission or the right way to do things. And I think it's really important to balance that with having some cultural foundation and anchor that we can connect to because so many of us, like you mentioned, we didn't have that growing up. I grew up in a Christian Catholic family that never really resonated for me. And I didn't really understand spirit or that just the connection to a greater entity until I went out in nature myself. So I do think it's important for folks to have some cultural foundation to be a part of a community of peoples who have a shared experience, shared values, shared context for what we're talking about here. So just that balance, that healthy balance of trusting the inner authority and the external construct or container that contains culture for our peoples and allows them to thrive. That's beautiful, man. I'd love to ask you this 
wrapping up question. I'll have a little lightning round to just flesh the human of you out a little bit more. <laughs> What's one key insight that you'd offer our listeners, particularly in regards to rites of passage or what you've learned from rites of passage? But what's the one key insight that you'd offer our listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Yeah. Well, I think I've already spoken to it a little bit so far, but I'll reinforce it and put a punctuation mark on it. That the combination of variables of spending time alone out in nature, take the phone away, take the being plugged into the grid away, take food away and stacking these elements creates for a very, very unique experience something that most people have never experienced in their lives. And whether it's this or another version of putting yourself in unfamiliar, uncomfortable, uncertain circumstances, obviously there's a difference between being reckless and taking a risk, but doing that for yourself, like you said, telling people to go out and wander, that's so important. So important. I think we all need to have those experiences in some form or fashion. So whether it's this way or another way, seeking out those opportunities because sure, life will present plenty of unknowns, but there's something different about choosing that experience and walking into that deliberately instead of accidentally. I'm aware, although I did that full on vision quest fast, man, that was damn near 20 years ago now. I have to do something regularly where I step into the mystery. I mean, my book, Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her, that was born of me going up into the mountains for five days and spending at least three or four hours every afternoon just sitting in one spot with no distractions, just sitting. That's not a vision fast. It's a practice. It's a vision practice, I'd say. That book wasn't available to me consciously until I stepped into the mystery and got quiet, like you said, removed all of these different things and did it day after day for a few days. So I'm, man, I'm such a big proponent. Jetty, I'm so excited for what you're doing, man, and for the, the container that you're creating for men to have these experiences. Do you work with women as well, or is this just men? I don't work with women. I do get that question a lot, and I have some allies that I've gathered in the field who do work with women, but no, not me. Because obviously this isn't just for men, a vision fast is, no. for women yeah. as well that feel called to it. In fact, it was a woman who brought me to <laughs> Vision Fast who would, had paved the way for me. So, all right. Thank you, Jetty. Uh, we're gonna finish up what I like to call your five core emotional triggers. Ooh, Basically, right. this just the five core emotions you know, that we often talk about in men's work to, because men sometimes have a hard time identifying emotions and articulating them. So, you know, we mad, sad, joy, fear, and I give some options, shame, embarrassment, or just, you know, what makes you want to hide from the world. So starting with number one, what makes you mad? Oh, being late at other people's, <laughs> not the expense of other people when it's not in my control. Let's, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. There's a lot of things that make me mad, but that's one thing that just okay. sets me off. <laughs> that's funny, man. You're my wife. My wife hates, and look, better for me than, than the wife who's, <laughs> who's happy to be hours late. My right. wife is like, if we are a minute late, oh, dude, she is angry. Doesn't oh, like we it. would get along then. <laughs> you guys are going to get along famously. Y'all you, will never be late to our hangouts. There we go. <laughs> what makes you sad? Makes me sad. A lot of times I look at how, I guess, just the society that I'm participating in and feel, always feeling like I have my toe in 
a different idea and construct for living and then also participating in this default version of reality that feels like it takes me away from my kids more than I want to. And I recognize that that's a choice, but it makes me sad when I think about the moments that I might not have cashed in on with my kids. Yeah, I feel that. Thanks, man. What causes you to feel joy? Oh, again, my kids, their laughs, they're so silly. They're three and seven right now. So really sweet age where they still want to be around and hang out with us and want all the attention. So yeah, but their laughs is pure joy, pure joy. I'm envious. My wife and I are, we're trying, we're working on it. God willing, man, I'll get to have that experience in my home before long. What causes you to feel fear? Fear. Oh, this is a really interesting one. I mean, there's, there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot of fears that I could pull from and draw from right now. One of the big ones that's been occurring for me recently is the fear of not fulfilling my potential and the fear that I'll just someday become complacent and lazy. I am deathly afraid of that reality, which I don't have a lot of evidence for. I'm not a very lazy person. I'm pretty active and engaged, but I definitely operate from the fear of what if I become that guy. Oh man, I can so relate to that. I think my biggest fear in life, I don't even know how I would fucking measure this, but I won't do what I came here to do. I will not fulfill, um, there's the, the magic word, my purpose, that I will somehow not live up to my potential. Again, I don't even know how the fuck you measure that or what that means, but it, I so <laughs> relate to that. Well, what screws me up with that one, I don't know if it's the same for you, is that I'm actually the yardstick for my potential, right? I'm the yardstick for did I fulfill on my purpose? And that feels like a lot of responsibility for me to decide that for myself. Then I kind of want somebody to tell me, am, am I hitting the mark or not? It's yeah. I feel you on that. The problem, and I can relate to it. The problem is I will never fulfill on the potential that I can see for myself. I live in perpetual failure in that mindset. So it's a mind fuck, man, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're not alone. <laughs> that's good to know. Ah, oh, that's comforting. What causes you to feel shame or embarrassment or just makes you want to hide from the world? Yeah. Well, generally speaking, it's all the places that I feel inadequate. It's really all the places where I compare myself to the successes of others, where I feel like I've made poor financial decisions or where I feel like I lost my temper with my kids or my wife, all of those places. So the times where I didn't hit the mark that I know I'm capable of, or I believe that I'm capable of, a lot of it stems from comparison, comparison to other people I see, but also comparing myself to this imaginal version of myself that I think I could someday be that's this really, really high standard. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for letting us see you're human. You got it, man. Thanks for asking. Jetty, where can our listeners learn more about you, about doing a vision fast with you and whatever else you're up to? Absolutely, man. Well, risingman.org is where we have everything that's going on in the Rising Man community. Our mission is to initiate an entire generation of men into purpose-driven leadership. So we have a lot of different ways that we support men in that journey. What we spoke about here today, Compass, is our four-day solo wilderness fast. Obviously, it's a four whole four-month experience, but that four-day fast, uh, you can go to risingman.org slash compass to find out. We've got a bunch of them popping off next year. California, New York, doing the first one here in Austin. So a lot of opportunities for men. Those seats fill up quick because we don't take too many guys out. So anybody who's interested, check it out. Well, Jetty, thank you so much for coming on, man. Again, just mad respect and appreciation for what you're doing. It's so important and needed, and uh, thank you. Likewise, man. Thank you so much for having me here. It's great to reciprocate and be in the guest seat, and I look forward to doing it again, man.
Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to my dear friend, Jetty Azuma. You can find Jetty at www.risingman.org. Of course, that link and any other resources will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. And also, remember, if you'd like to experience empowering transformational coaching with me to help elevate your experience in intimate relationship or elevate your life in the ways that are most urgent for you, go to brianreeves.com slash elevate and fill out the application on that page. That's your first step into an experience of profound support with me personally. Again, it's Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash elevate. And finally, please go write a review of this podcast on your podcast app. Doing so helps me immensely. It helps people come to this show. It helps them realize this is a trustable space. I would sure appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired. Thank you.